Welcome to the book at the end of the shelf. My name is Christopher Sainton Clark. On this cold and windy evening, I'm sat alone and in the dark. I'm here to read you bedtime stories that are far from PG or mild. I wouldn't choose to play this podcast if you're listening with your child. Some of these are dark, some are funny, most are downright gory. But when you open the book at the end of the shelf, there is always a bedtime story. Episode 2. The Night That Ali Died Ali walked through the streets holding a briefcase by his side. This is what the reports would say of him when they read that Ali had died. He had kissed his children goodnight and had a long embrace with his wife who was completely unaware that her husband was risking his life. Ali had upset the wrong people. He had seen something he shouldn't see. The police had told him not to leave the house for the sake of his life and his family. But Ali was not one for listening. Ali had had enough. Ali was not a strong man by any means, but his stubborn mind was tough. So he walked through the streets after sneaking out, listening to the sounds of following feet desperately hoping he would make it to the end of his destined street. Ali sharply turned a corner, and turned one yet again. He picked up the pace as the bells of the church tower rang to the count of ten. Max's voice was in Ali's head, and he could picture his twisted smile. I will kill you, you little fucker. I will stab, rip, tear and defile. The second someone talks or testifies against me, It won't just be you in the grinder, it'll be the whole of your family. A new road welcomed him, and some drunkards provided him cover. He weaved in and out of the crowds, passing one nightclub after another. He reached a dingy car park through a set of dark and winding stairs. His footsteps echoed loudly through this piss-soaked lonely lair. The cars in there were rusted and seemingly disused. Ali wouldn't normally be seen in a place so forgotten and abused. But necessity did call to him, with its tired and strangled breath. If he did not do what he planned to tonight, it would be a matter of life and death. He reached the corner of the site and pulled forward the rancid bin. He turned around and looked to see if anyone was watching him. He placed the briefcase in the corner and pushed the bin back to cover it. He had done what he needed to do. He smiled, he had done his bit. Now he would head home. At least, he would have a good try. Because Ali was still unaware that this was the night that he would die. He was stopped still in his tracks by a six-foot muscled man. And Ali saw in this guy's face that he would fail in his plan. He had a cigar in his mouth and a hammer in his hand. And Ali's throat clogged up as if he had swallowed a pint of sand. He could only accept defeat, as the hammer was raised quickly, and as the blunt object came swinging down, it was the last thing Ali did see. Jason entered the car park, holding a hammer by his side. This is what the reports would say when they read that Jason had died. 
He had been tailing a man called Ali, a snivelling little rat who had seen Max Wheeler kill a man, and well, Max, Max couldn't have that. Though Ali was no one to Jason, and he had no reason to wish him pain, Ali's death would pay £10,000 so Jason wouldn't complain. He wasn't an easy target. He had been watching Ali for days, whilst trying to keep out of the sight of the police who had Ali locked within their gaze. So Jason would sit in his car afar, watching Ali's house from the orange street light, hoping that the police would leave so Jason could sneak in out of sight. But this night was lucky for Jason. He slowly and quietly stood, as Ali was leaving his house unguarded, so a chance for a payout was good. Ali didn't want the police to see him. Jason watched him sneak out the back. A cigar sat precariously on his smile as Jason planned his grisly attack. He followed Ali to Pollyanna Road, where he disappeared into the crowds. Jason needed this opportunity, this chance to make his boss proud. See, Jason was on thin fucking ice. He had been warned a couple of times that his garish and cavalier attitude often made it harder to cover up crimes. But Jason was a psychopath. He had been told all throughout his life. He was told by his teachers, his doctors, his parents, and by his recently deceased wife. Jason liked the feeling of killing. It gave him a form of pleasure that was scarcely lived up to by beer or sex or other illegal treasures. So when he caught a glimpse of Ali, disappearing into a car park alone, he felt like the universe had decided to throw him a bone. From his jacket he pulled out a hammer and descended into the depths, trying hard not to make a sound as he passed the final steps. Ali was stood in the corner and turned to see Jason approach, and with a swift lift of his hammer, Jason would stamp out the little roach. Before Ali could even whimper, Jason cracked the hammer against his head. A heavy drop to the floor splattered the grounds with drops of red, and one hit had been enough, but not enough for Jace. He continued to batter Ali's skull as he felt his giddy heart race. Stopping to look at the mess that he'd made, Jason realised he'd made a mistake. He was meant to kill him cleanly, but it looked like he'd dropped a red velvet cake. He picked up his blood-stained hammer and swiftly dashed out of the park, and before he'd reached the street, a scream shot out through the dark. The body had in seconds been found, and so Jason picked up the pace. He desperately tried his hardest to wipe the blood splatters off of his face, and then an alarm did sound, and Jason began to run. He saw someone pointing at him, saying, Him! He's the one! The drunk crowds began to shift to stop Jason from getting out. He was holding a hammer and covered in blood, so there wasn't much reasonable doubt. He shoved his way through, screaming at the crowds to get away. He managed to scare them off and keep them all at bay. And he smiled to himself as he reached the end of the street. The cobblestones pounded underneath his blistered feet. But out of the blue in a second, a shot rang through the city. And there was no time for epiphanies, goodbye, regrets or pity. Because a bullet had found a way into Jason's skull. And he dropped to the floor like a sack as his vision began to dull. Bethan stood in the heights of the town, with a rifle by her side. This is what the reports would say when they read that Bethan had died. Bethan was out on a mission to remove a troublesome friend. His cavalier and garish attitude had caused his untimely end. Bethan was known throughout the country in every illegal walk of life, she was the go-to person to swiftly and cleanly take a life.
Though young in her age, she was old in her voice, and the dice that fate had rolled her had left her little choice but to fall into an underworld that treated her better than her childhood did. And when you're as good at killing as Bethan, you learn to take the highest bid. And Max Wheeler had approached Bethan with an incredibly well-paid job. He spat it out at her as he shoved french fries into his gob. Jason's become a problem. He needs to go. That's just a fact. But I need you to do this professionally. You cannot be caught in the act. If anyone finds out that I've killed off one of my own men, let's just say you'll join him. Do you get me? Do you ken? Half of the cash was exchanged. She knew how the job would be done. She'd sneak her way into the church, climb to the bell tower with her gun. She did this for a couple of nights, to watch Jason in his routine, to watch his every move and action, blissfully unaware he could be seen. He would sit every night in his car, watching Ali, another of Max's targets. To kill both would be lucrative in this bloody seller's market. At the top of the church, she would wait for the deafening toll of the bell. This is when she decided she would send her colleague to hell. The bell would mask the sound of the shot, she just had to wait until ten. Then she could finish her job, and Max would be happy again. She would pop Jason in his car with one clean and fatal shot. Forensics would take a while before they connected the dots. That the angle and the bullet meant that it had to have come from the church. This was no problem for Bethan. She'd be long gone before they started to search. There was no CCTV. No one had ever seen her enter. She was ready to take the kill and thought that nothing would prevent her. But at 10 to 10, everything had been going well so far. But Bethan looked through her crosshairs and saw that Jason was not in his car. She had only looked away to check the time on her phone screen. And now her prime target couldn't even be seen. She scoured the streets with the rifle, moving it softly left and right. She spent a good 10 minutes searching the city through the sights. And completely ignorant to where she was and at what time, Bethan jumped out of her skin when the bells began to chime. Shit! Ten had been and gone, as had her shot. She was running out of time to do this. Max needed Jason stopped. But a short while passed before an alarm began to sound. She followed the noise through the scope until miraculously Jason was found. He was clawing his way through some people, causing a spectacular commotion. Bethan waited to take a shot, but the crowd surrounded him like an ocean. She had to shoot him now, even though the bells would not chime. She'd have to take the risk. She was running out of time. Jason couldn't go to prison. He simply knew too much. Bethan's finger rested on the trigger with a soft and steady touch. Jason had cleared himself from the crowds, and though her distance was over a mile, bang, she took the shot, and her face allowed a smile. It took him a second to drop, but there was no doubt that he was dead. With the sound of screams from the streets, Bethan quickly fled. She thought it best to return to Max, to give an account of what had gone down. Things hadn't gone to plan. There was a bloody spectacle across the town. It wasn't exactly the professionalism that Bethan would use on a score. She pondered what excuse she could give that Max would actually go for. She arrived at her boss's lair and tepidly went inside. And this was the last time the city streets saw her alive. Max sat in his lair in his underworld, with a cigar by his side. This is what the reports would say, 
when they read that Max had died. Max had built an empire, not through hard work, but intimidation. And now his was a whispered name in this drug-dependent nation. And in his power and his wealth, all he wished to do was sit in his lair and smoke and think of the horrors he could put someone through. He was waiting on some news. He was expecting someone to die. His ever-loyal lapdog Jason had caused too many jobs to go awry. His contemplation was interrupted by a knock upon his door, and when Bethan walked inside, he knew that Jason was no more. Is it done? She nodded. Good job. Well, I'm sorry, but not quite. I've made a bit of a mess, Anne. It's going to be hard to put this right. She gave Max her account, and he burst into a rage. Oh, for fuck's sake, Biffin, you serious? You've taken a leaf out of his page. You've brutalized him publicly. You are meant to use precision. He was going to get arrested. I stopped that. That was my decision. There wasn't much I could do. He changed his plan. He left his car. If I hadn't taken the shot, he would be talking about you behind locked bars. Max Wheeler was seething. He was shaking in his bones, and the only thing that kept Bethan alive was the ringing of his phone. Max picked it up and barked. All right then, show him in. He glared into Bethan's soul, and she felt a dread in her stomach begin. The door was then opened by a young thin man named Paul. Oh, you're eight, Max, Bethan. Fucking hell, I've seen it all. I was following our alley, followed him through the city. But Jason got there first, and fuck me, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I know, Paul, he's dead. And Jason's mincemeat too. So whatever news you've got, I heard it before you. Yeah, but that's not why I'm here, mate. Ali was killed in a drop-off site. And a briefcase was left early. I thought I'd grab it before the police did, right? Because this is a lot of fucking profit I've saved you. You can thank me for this, Max. The police would have got this, but I did. So you can just relax. But why is it early? Tomorrow's drop-off day. I don't know, maybe they had shit to do. I'm not the one to say. Max picked up the briefcase and plonked it on the table, sweeping aside the cocaine packets, empty coffee cups and laptop cables. And with his stubby fingers, he clicked open the case. And when he saw what he saw inside, horror filled his face. The last thing Max did see was a twisted mess of wires and then the bomb within went off in a fearsome ball of fire. Max was torn from limb to limb in literally just a flash. Bethan and Paul were blown apart as flesh and bone began to mash, and although the bang was loud, the world became almost quieter that night. A calm filled the air now that Max Wheeler was out of sight. And although the news of Ali was impossible to hear, his wife and his children would no longer live in fear. Thank you for listening to The Night That Ali Died. This one was really fun to write. Um, I got really inspired when working in Edinburgh to write this one and uh, really visualised the city as I wrote it. When working on the fringe, I used this really dark and dingy car park on a road called Nidri Street to unload my set for the play. Um, and I don't know, I guess I got some inspiration from that. 
I love how this one is a bit of a chain reaction one, how the characters all interact with each other, how you get different snippets of each perspective. If you want to keep up to date with news about the book at the end of the shelf, then follow Raising Cane Productions on all of our socials, or me, Christopher Sainton Clark, on mine. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and I really look forward to seeing you next week for Connie Pollyanna Saves the World. This one's really fun. It's much more of a comedy one, and it's just really silly, but very gory too. Uh, It's about a young girl who, plagued by the thought of global warming, takes some rather drastic measures into her own hands. See you next week for another tale from the book at the end of the shelf.